about the church. Do you love the church? Do you serve the church? When you see the church, what do you see? Jesus loves his church. So week number five, Jesus Loves His Church. Week one, we went over this whole thing uh, of what the story of the church is, and really what the story of the Bible is, what God's plan uh, for the world is, and, and how we uh, fit into that. And we said that God's plan uh, for this world, today's world, the world we live in, is the, is, is the restoration of all things. There's not one aspect of the world that, that God is not trying to somehow put back together, and he's using the church to do that. He's using you as a follower of Christ to join in the, part, the restoration of all things uh, to begin to see the world look like what he originally intended. Um, that's awesome, incredible movement, action, vision for the church. And so we're really participating in all of that. And the way he does this, the way he puts everything back together is really by changing lives um, to look more like him. He changes hearts. He goes right through all of the junk um, in your life, in your, in your situation, in your circumstance. It goes right after your heart, wanting to uh, be a part of your life. That's when you sing a song like your love is fierce, your love is relentless. It's this movement towards you. He's pulling you towards him, asking you to be a part of this whole thing, this mission to see all things restored. He's asking you to be a part of his family, a part of his plan. And so he wants to see your life changed uh, by Christ. And, and so we, we as a church, we, a couple weeks ago we started this idea that on, on the local church we talked about how we really participate in this. And that's really through seeing, uh, by, through gospel-centered worship, community, and mission, we begin to see our lives and our hearts shaped uh, by God's because he's the creator, we're the creation, and we ultimately are shaped by him. And so that's where we came up with the, our mission statement um, for our church is really to uh, participate in the restoration of all things by seeing lives changed by Christ through gospel-centered worship, community, and mission. Last week, we talked about how we go through gatherings and groups and teams to begin to do that, where our gatherings here is one of the aspects of how we do this. Our, our small groups, we have almost 80% of our church involved in some sort of a small group um, throughout the week. Um, which is incredible. We want to continue to see that uh, drive and continue to see that push. Um, then through our serving teams, we begin to see uh, your heart shaped uh, by him. And so today, really, we're asking the question, who? So who is uh, kind of involved with all of this? And what is the structure, the breakdown of, um, of our church? H how are we led and how should we continue to pursue um, into the future? And so uh, today, we're going to take a, a look at that. 
many churches uh, throughout uh, history and, and really over the last 50 years, um, when, when churches started growing or churches started realizing, hey, we need some leadership or structure or a management, a lot of times what they did is they took on the structure of their local government and they put it on their church. And so that, what, what I mean by is this, is that you have a, a, a head council of some sort that's making decisions. They have to uh, you know, motion and make movements that in, order to, in order to get things to happen. Underneath them is some sort of a leader or some sort of a staff that has to pursue approval through them. And then from there, we move on down to the actual activity um, that really anyone can veto, anyone can take over, anyone can control through, uh, through different elements of power or different element of politics. And so really what you saw was the local government be displayed in the midst of the church, which is really helpful in moments where you need a structure of some sort, but it's not entirely helpful if you're trying to understand what, what, the, what, the, what the Bible teaches on the structure of the church. Um, and so at our church, we would not be considered a congregational church, meaning this, that that we really have to get a vote from everybody in the church in order uh, to get anything done. Uh, because really, in, in all reality, there are moments uh, in a church where we have to respond to what God's asking us to do. Um, and, and really, it creates factions that, that, that drive us into different corners and different ideas. That's not really what the Bible talks about when it comes to the structure of the church. And so we aren't a congregational form of government, but what we have is a group of elders, some staff, and volunteers that are all involved with pursuing the mission of the church and pursuing the mission that the scriptures teach is the mission of the church. And that's, that's really where we begin to uh, separate a little bit from uh, many of the actually area of the churches and, and, and things, like, uh, things along that nature. But we have a, an elder form of leadership here at the church, and that's what we want to break down. Um, and kind of go through that, why we believe that's really the healthiest uh, form of government, and also it, it, why that pr- produces the healthiest uh, amount of ministry for our church. So today, um, we want to go through that. There's a difference, and I, I talked about this a few weeks ago, there's a difference between a human institution and a spiritual community. You guys remember when I talked about that a couple weeks ago? There's a difference between a human institution and a spiritual community. And so here it is. A human institution, a lot of times, is built off desire. What, what, is, what is the desire of the heart of somebody, and they begin to pursue it? Versus a com- spiritual community um, is based off mission. And so this word here, eros, is this form of love, really, it just comes down to desire. How can I get what I want? Spiritual community is based off mission, agape. How can I best serve the overall mission of the church or the overall mission of Jesus. Um, it's human institution, a lot of times based off darkness and sin. How can I best feel, uh, how can I best feel or best uh, pursue what I feel like is going on in my heart? What we do uh, in a spiritual community, we say, what does Jesus want? What does that convict in me and how do I become more like him? Um, a human institution, a lot of times based off some sort of control. We say, you know, so you'll see this played out um, in all sorts of, in all sorts of uh, forms of government, um, uh, state, business, all that sort of thing, is based off how can I control and get this where, I'm, where I want it to go. 
a human, in a spiritual community, what you have is a uh, form of service. How can I help? How can I help? And that's a big difference. A lot of times this one sneaks into a church um, without even really trying very hard uh, because our, 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 just our human hearts are bent towards how can I best get what's suited for me versus how can I best help you. I, I said it a couple weeks ago, man, what if every single person in Community Covenant Church walked through our front doors saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to serve you? What can I do to make you feel comfortable? What can I do to lay myself down to begin to help you pursue Christ? So it's built off service. It's, uh, a human institution is built off honor. And so basically what you do is you serve and you're involved so that you can receive the honor. There's a couple of passages in Scripture where, you, uh, where it says that pay honor to whom honor is due. But you see in the, like the, just the overall feel of the New Testament, there's just this not pursue of being, uh, of making sure you feel um, appreciated, making sure you feel honored, making sure you get the, uh, the, the element of what it is. Um, but the spiritual community is humility, meaning we know that Jesus did so much for us that we can never repay, so we just want to do a little bit to help. We know Jesus really paid it, it all, and no matter what I do, no matter what I do, I'm just a part of his story. It's not really my vision, my desire. It's, it's his, his vision, his desire. I want to be a part of that. And so you begin to see this, 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 this pursuit of honor, this pursuit of stage time, this pursuit of seeing, make sure everyone sees you just kind of disappear because you just want to be a part of his story. Then you have experience, human institutions. You, you search for leaders based off experience and competence. This is a big deal for, for us as well as church. We just think it sits inside of this idea of character. And so we don't pursue uh, just experience and competence void of a person's character. We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but most of the time when the Bible talks about leadership, they don't talk about any of your experience outside of the character that your experience sits in. Like, you, you sit down, you sit down with someone, it's, you're not talking confidence, you're talking about, hey, how's your wife? Hey, what, what's, what's, what's your past look like that, 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 that looks like Jesus is actually working in it? Hey, hey how, what do your neighbors think about you? And it's, this, it's a much different idea of really, of what, human, of what spiritual community leadership is all about. And then you have, lastly, you have governance. Um, this is a word we use a little bit. We've stolen from the from the from the uh, the human institution world, but it's but governance being we need to make sure everything stays the same. We need to make sure everything con- is controlled in this manner. Versus a spiritual community is discernment, meaning discern discernment being that Jesus sets the vision, and the leaders of the church are trying to discern where He's asking us to go next. A, a human a spiritual community is discerning what Jesus, the senior pastor, is leading us to go. Are we tracking on this so far? And so this is a much different, that my heart as, as your pastor is to really see us sit well on this side of the world. My, my, my passion, my desire as pastor is to see uh, our spiritual community deepen its roots 
in its trust in the Bible, in its adherence to what it teaches, in the pursuit of God's power, I want to begin to see us as a spiritual community take root, not so much as an institution, but as someone that where we together as a family of folks can pursue the mission of God together. The biggest thing is we look at this, we look at the mission of God and say, God, how can we be a part of that? Churches break down, and I've seen this, I've seen this firsthand on three occasions. Churches break down when desire takes over mission. And some of you have seen that as well. Some of you have come here from broken churches. Some of you have come here from broken um, situations in the past, whether, depending, whether it's church world or not. But some of you have come here from churches, and you step back and you think, what in the world was that all about? And you come here and you have to take a year or so to heal because really all of that stuff that this was a mess happened. And a lot of times it's because that the church itself shifted from its mission to make disciples and pursue the restoration of all things all the way to a group of people that began to control what that community looked like. I mean, I've watched that three times firsthand. I was a part of leading one of them out of that. It's a mess. And so my prayer for us as a church, is that we forget ourselves and we pursue the mission of God. So, as a spiritual community, I'm praying that we begin to pursue God's mission. So, how do we do that? What is our church's structure um, in order to do that? And so what I want to do is read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for for God by the Spirit. And so here Paul's talking about this idea. That when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to following Christ, you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens to all of that. He welcomes you into the family, welcomes you into it, and then he puts you in a structure that grows so that not only the structure, but you can be of the holy temple and, and grow into the holy temple of the Spirit. And so it's this incredibly important piece of the church that we need to focus on. And so it's in this, and this whole structure is being built together based off who? Jesus, the cornerstone. Jesus, the cornerstone. And so number one, our church's structure, number one is Jesus-centered. Jesus-centered. First Peter 5 puts it this way. Just go ahead and throw that up on the screen. It says, so I exalt the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as a well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You begin to see some of that language that I was talking about in human uh, and spiritual community take place in 1 Peter 5 here. Go to the next one. Verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with 
uh, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears. And you see this language that Paul is using here. He's saying, he's saying hey, you elders, shepherd the church because when the chief shepherd appears, we'll have this unfading crown of glory, which is Jesus. And so you have this chief shepherd. So we understand that our chief shepherd, our senior pastor, the leader of our church, is the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And man, I hope that that excites you as much as it excites me. Because what that does is this, is you say at that point, as a follower of Jesus, God, what are you doing, and how can I help you? God, what are you doing, and how can I help you? Jesus, the center of our church, that becomes this idea where we are literally filled and we're literally built around this, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That nothing else becomes our mission. Nothing else becomes the rallying cry of our organization. The reason why we meet together, the reason why we gather together, the reason why we split up into community groups, the reason why we serve is to pour out from within us the love of Christ that changed us. And so what is important when we say Jesus-centered, we are going to the scriptures to say, God, what, what is your desire for us as a church? We go to him in prayer to say, what is your story for us as a church? We go to him for wisdom and for counsel to say, man, I got this situation here. What is the best way to handle it? Jesus-centered, gospel-centered leadership means that there's no one person that's at the helm saying, God, that's at the helm saying, you got to follow me or else that's it. Every single element of our church is interacting with itself in some way. There's not one personality running any of it. It's so easy for, for many people to be like, well, uh, we, we really love the senior pastor, and we really love all that he does and all that he teaches. And I love hearing when you say that. That's I, very thankful to hear of responses when, I, when people say that. But ultimately, all I'm doing is communicating a, a book that's lived for a long time. That's all I'm doing. And so we what we want to do is rise past the level of leadership to Jesus. We want to get past this idea. I hope at the end of the day, when you, when you hear teaching on the Bible, it, 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 it help, makes you pursue him outside of here. I want it to rise above who I am, ultimately to who Jesus is, so that you can understand what he's doing in you and through you. Our gospel-centered Jesus-centered leadership means we're all based around him. And so, number one, Jesus-centered leadership. Number two, we are elder-governed. Elder-governed. And this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can go ahead and throw that up. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome but a lover, uh, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so what we see, Jesus is the senior pastor of our church and the elders is a group of qualified men and women underneath Jesus that are discerning his direction for our church. Now, the, the, in, the, in the Bible, there's multiple names for this group of people. There's overseers and presbyters and bishops and all this, you know, many different types of names. And, and many churches and many different styles take all of those names and they do different things with them. But what the New Testament is doing, it's all talking about the same group of people. It's all synonymous for each other. Bishops and overseers, presbyters, elders, even pastor is all a part of the same group of leadership. It's just one level, just one level, that we're a part of this ongoing pursuit of what God's saying, ongoing pursuit of all that he does. And and elders are really responsible to provide and protect for the church in three areas. Number one is doctrine. They protect us and provide for us. They provide teaching of healthy doctrine. Uh, They guard us from false teaching. And so me as uh, as, the, as the main communicator, the main teacher for our church, um, every quarter I'm sending out all of my sermons uh, to the elders and to the staff for someone to raise their hand and say, hey, I don't know if this is right. Hey, hey, I don't know if, this, I don't know if what we're doing is, I, I, I want to ask about this. I want to talk through this. I wanna, are we all the way there yet on that? So every three months I'm throwing that up to say, hey, uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me no. Tell me something's going on. I want to be as pure as possible when I'm communicating the scriptures. It can't be one man. The only anointed man in the entire Bible, in the entire New Testament, is who? Jesus. And so I don't come wafting down the mountain with a word from the Lord. If that happens, run, man. Run. I don't come skipping through the fields with my pursuit of Christ and say, everyone's got to listen to me. I want you, man, to be opening up the Bible with me and say, no, 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 that's not right. Or, hey, hey, what you said, it spurred me into thinking this, and really I was pursuing what was going on here, and this is what happened. There's nothing, there's, there's one anointed man in the Bible, it's Jesus, and the previous ones were pointing to him. And from then, we have a bunch of followers of Christ that are given gifts for them to operate within the church. Elders are a part of that. And they provide in doctrine. They provide in discernment, in leadership. They say, all right, what are the next 18 months looking like for our church? What does the next step look like? What does the next season of our church look like? And lastly, they function in a, it's a terrible, terrible word. I don't know of a new one yet. We'll figure it out. Um, but it's discipline. And discipline meaning there's a relational conflict that sometimes rises within the church. Sometimes there's sin that rises within the church. And the elders are really responsible for helping make sure that we are pursuing Christ. Now, this can get a little awkward from time to time. Can I get an amen? Right? 
Because sometimes in our pursuit of him, sin rises up and someone says, hey, look, um, I'm going to ask you to refrain from this activity. Hey, I'm going to ask you to move away from what you're currently doing because we don't believe it's the Bible's design for your life. And we need to come to welcome that and desire that. That's a part of community. I'm going to be talking about this over the next couple series um, after this one ends in, in February, in, in March and April. I'm going to be talking about how those relationships really work. I'm really excited about that series, but really how to do this well. And so, but elders are part of governing the church. They're looking at the 50,000-foot view of how to pursue Christ in his season of our church, how to discern and lead where we're headed. And so from there, from elder governance, number two, we, uh, number three, we have staff-led. We have staff-led. So we're Jesus-centered, we're elder-governed, and we're staff-led. So Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this staffing, uh, or talks about this level that we have. It says, uh, verse 11, he gave the apostles, uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so underneath um, kind of the elders, and really just as it's, it's like a, a part of that whole idea is you have a, a set of, of, of qualified men and women that are helping lead the church towards the, towards the vision and mission that the elders have established for us. And so that's where our staff comes into play. So you have, you have a, we, have a, we have about eight or so folks on staff that are, that are ultimately moving into different areas of our church that are saying, okay, how do we um, move towards B? We're at A, the, el- the elders and, and, uh, are discerning that Jesus wants us at B. How do we get there? And so we move towards that together uh, in a way that's pursuing the mission of our church. Um, the staff kind of level, is that a function of, more of a deacon, Acts chapter 6, if you want to do some study on it. Um, Acts chapter 6 talks through, in, in, in the rest of 1 Timothy 3, talks about the office of deacon, which is someone who's established um, in the serving of the church. Um, as someone who's a, a, just a specifically appointed a certain service role in the church. And so that really is what the staff functions for, but they're a part of actually making the decisions to say, okay, here's how what's best to get there. Um, elders, they govern this, say, here's where we're headed, and then the group of qualified men and women that are on staff are saying, okay, how do we pursue that? And we function and move interacting uh, together. I, I personally am a part of the elder board, um, but I serve as staff leader, and so we end up, I end up interacting. It means that I go to a lot of meetings. For the glory of God, amen. <laughs> but you're Jesus, we're Jesus-centered uh, we're elder government, we're staff-led, and, and you have this group of people that are really pursuing what it means to follow Christ. And then that leads us to our last piece, which is volunteer-operated. So you're Jesus-centered, elder governed, staff-led, 
volunteer-operated. And 1 Peter 4 talks about it this way. It says, the end of all things is at hand. How exciting news for Peter to explain to us. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Notice I have not shared one piece of scripture this morning that says if you want to be a leader, you need to push through everything and make sure your vision is heard. Every single passage of leadership in the New Testament has something to do with, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And if leadership ever moves away from that, that's when we got an issue. Verse 9. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love that. God's given you grace, and you have to be a steward of your grace, of the grace that he's given you, by serving one another. And so for us as a church, we have a volunteer-operated structure, meaning that staff is leading us towards that, but we're all a part of the mission and the vision together. There's not one person that's established more than the other in terms of hierarchy. The only thing that the Bible talks about is a a group of elders that that are called to lead the church from within as servant leaders, helping us pursue Christ, that are responsible for some of the the doctrine and the teaching, admonishing and encouraging each other. But what we are, we're all in this, in a a way, that we're all functioning together towards the mission and the vision of the church because we've all been given gifts. The only reason why anyone is separated in different ways is because of gifting, not because of special calling, or not because of special ideas, or not because this person's set apart and different. We are all together moving towards this idea of what it's like to see lives changed by Christ. And this is really where that comes from. 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about it this way. It says that as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amongst all of this is that we like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house, a a structure, a group of people, a community to be a holy priesthood. Now look, there is not one person other than Jesus Christ that steps between you and God. There's not one person that steps, there's a lot of people that he uses to help push you there. But because of Jesus, you are able to have peace with God and be a part of his mission and vision for your life and for the world. You are a priest. You are. You, through your actions, you, through your heart, you, through 
what all that God's doing in you and doing through you, your family, your relationships, all of it, you are showing people what God is like. There's not one moment in your life where you are activating and, and where you are activating some sort of idea about what God means to you. Really, the depth of all that He's doing in you. When, when the Bible says that we're the priesthood of all believers, it's meaning that we are a part of something together. Because my gift is different than yours does not mean that I am up in a higher position than anybody. So that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we are participating in the restoration of all things. All of us together. We're no longer two people, no longer two bodies, but we're one in Jesus all pushing through this together. And what we need to do is pursue this type of structure to see the healthiest ministry take place. If it comes down to a single person, guess what that entire church is built off? A single person. What does the Bible say the church should be built off? The cornerstone, which is Jesus. And underneath him, we are all in this together. We're all in this together. All sorts of different gifts, all sorts of different people, all telling the world something about what God is like because we're the priests. We're the priesthood of all believers. We're a group of people showing others what God is like. And so we are Jesus-centered. That's it. We're a bunch of broken people saved by Jesus pursuing him so that we can be, uh, be a part of his story for the world. And we have some elders that govern that direction. We have some staff that lead us, but we're all part of the story together. And man, I hope and pray that you join us in that. As a part of this movement over the next year, we're actually going to be looking uh, for our next set of elders, looking for people to be able to roll on to that leadership team. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that if you aspire to leadership, that you aspire a good thing, but that there's all sorts of, uh, there's all sorts of uh, uh, things that we have to work through together. And so he's saying, if anyone aspires to this role, then, then let's do it. We have to make sure that there's the character and the competency we have to make sure that there's the calling. We have to make sure there's the culture. There's the chemistry. We have to make sure all, there's all sorts of stuff engaged uh, with that. And so we're going to be asking God to raise within us a group of people that are going to help lead us towards pursuing his story, pursuing who he is. We hope to do this by September of 2017, September of this year. We're going to be moving through and seeing how God is raising up leaders within our church to be a part of this whole thing. We want to make this as normal, as natural as possible because we believe that God is at work within leaders. And so we're looking forward to do that. So we, have, we, we certainly would love, if you would love to nominate someone for that or love to engage, like engage someone's name for that, you've been watching someone or engaging with someone, you're, someone you're looking to, uh, someone, someone you're looking that you think are convinced that they could be a part of that, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you certainly let me know what, what is that. We certainly are already finding and, and engaging with certain people as well. But we'd love to see God 
raised within us a, a, a group of elders um, that are continuing to see Community Covenant not go for the next year, not go for the next 10 years, go for the next 40, 50 years so that our kids and our grandkids' grandkids can be able to be a part of a church that's restoring all things. And I, that pumps me up. I hope that it pumps you up too. Today, we're going to take communion with that in mind, that we are a Jesus-centered, gospel-driven church that's built off him, the cornerstone. And what that means is a lot of times that we have to take all of those desires, all of the things that we really want to control, we really want to drive, we have to lay them at the feet of Jesus, me included. And I do this on a daily basis. Say, God, I want to pursue you. And so this morning, we're going to take communion with that in mind in a way that says, God, we want to lay all of our desires, all of our rights at your feet. We want to pick up what you're doing. Jesus, help us keep you at the center. God, I pray that you, you keep, you hold, you maintain our vision as a church, that we continue to pursue you. God, God, we're not based off anything except for the gospel, that our mission is based off the gospel to see people changed by you. And God, I pray this morning that you allow us to lay all things at your feet, allow us to announce the resurrection as the new way to live life. Allow us to announce the resurrection as the, as the, as the, the characterization of our community, that there is new life even in the midst of death. God, I pray that you remind us of that today. The resurrection is true and it's powerful. I look forward to thanking you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.